Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Hello, friends and fiends of Colton Classic Podcast. This is the second part of our amazing interview with the amazing Brian Viglione, half of the Dresden Dolls and all around great guy. We hope you enjoy it. And don't forget, if you haven't listened to last week's mini-sode for the first half of this awesome interview. Thanks so much. Enjoy and have a great day. We can't we can't move on without touching on this because because we are right now in the middle of our uh, New Year New Nick celebration where we celebrate uh, the lifetimes and works of Nicolas Cage uh, for his birth month in January. And you've got Moonstruck on here from 1987. <laughs> yes, um, indeed. I, I mean, this is of course the famous vehicle with with Cher, Nicolas Cage, Danny Yellow, uh, John Patrick Shanley's in this. What what caused you to put this film on? list i wind up coming back to this film year after year and showing it to friend after friend who's who'd not seen it and they're like that movie was amazing and hilarious and beautiful the scene for me maybe it's because i'm a hopeless romantic type um is the scene after the opera when Nicolas Cage walks Cher to his apartment and delivers his impassioned speech about love isn't here to make things e easy. It ruins everything. We're here to fall for the wrong people and, and destroy ourselves in the purpose, which is absolutely consistent with this amazing Khalil Gibran poem that I just wrote, uh, just, just read the other day too, where he wrote in it saying like, when you sign up essentially to allow love to flow into you when you fall in love, when it chooses you to be the vehicle, go for the ride, for the whole ride, and not this sort of like sugar-coated, oh, isn't it just everything great? The ups and downs and the, the sort of, it's the experience of reaching those amazing emotional depths of joy and pain and just being available to life and not negating and crushing out we get, again, I think really conditioned to trying to play it safe so we don't get hurt and therefore living this half-life as Gibran says in this, this, this poem. Do you know what I mean? Don't allow yeah. yourself to like be with a half a lover or like half a friend or don't allow yourself to sort of go half the journey. Be invested. Let yourself go the full way. Yes, it, it, it will be as, as sometimes painful as it will be um, joyful 
but the point is to experience and soak these things up. And that's what I love about the speech that he gives to share. She's trying to go like, I know, but I was married once and it went wrong and I'm afraid I'm gonna have bad luck and I should just marry your brother and da 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 And he's like, I know, but you don't love him and that's not what this is about. And so what are we doing here? You know that we're in love. Let's, you know, you have to throw caution out the window and just say like, you have to surrender to this thing that you know is possessing you already rather than fight it. Because that actually winds up being an inauthentic way to live. And that, you know, whatever, that sentiment rings very true for thing. I love all sorts of art and things like that. that well, an inauthentic that way to philosophy. live, I think is, is a really good way to put it because we talk a lot um, right now and thankfully so uh, in, in the, the 2020 era of, um, and now 2021, representation in our media. Um, and we, mm -hmm. we often, right now we're focusing on that um, in, in terms of BIPOC rights and black representation, all mm -hmm. people of color, gender equality, gender representation in film and media. And if, if anyone doesn't believe that it matters, I think what you just pointed out in Moonstruck and why it resonates with everyone from from you know soccer moms to uh, mm -hmm. jaded almost Gen Xers, like is that we get representations of love in a very two-dimensional, unrealistic way. And you know, um, as as much as I might love you know um, a, a, a goofy romantic comedy now and again. I, I look at Lost in Translation and see that is more helpful to my real life, you know, where it isn't always easy. There are moments when we don't feel on the same page, but progressing, making the effort to reconnect and build things together and maintain those things you built together and check in. Does it still work? Is this still best for us? Right. Like these things really matter. Um, and seeing a presentation, and I think who better to give it than Nicolas Cage, who is sort of famed for these uh, the ability to erupt with emotion um, when called for, is it's really important. And I think that these kind of life uh, moment representations matter as much as these other things. Of course, life moments aren't oppressed by a majority uh, gender and race. So they're right, definitely yes. not of equal value to explore at the time. But definitely, I, I think that that's, that's what always sticks out to me in that movie and why I think it makes so many different people's lists of things, movies they love. And there's an immense sincerity in yes. his performance in that film too. We get very used to the kind of like overblown cartoonish Nick yep. Cage of, you know, a lot of different films, but I have out. lived that very, yeah, you know what I'm saying? But, yeah. but that's not that moment. That's someone who's really going like, let's not deceive ourselves in bullshit here. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And it's nice to see somebody with conviction express that in a film over something that's complicated. Yeah. And likewise too, Olympia Dukakis, who I love She's her performance fantastic. in that film. With, with Vincent Gardenia as the wife, as you know, he's sort of, had, the two of them have sort of grown apart over years. He, he's sort of having this kind of like sort of flirty affair <laughs> with Mona and she calls him out on his bullshit and, and, and the Danny Aiello character. And it just like, again, it's just such like a beautiful and multifaceted story that I think transcends time and age because it is so pure about these kind of genuine human truths. So Moonstruck, highly recommended. Definitely. I, I, I couldn't agree more. We're, we're, we're at the uh, longer than was planned, but not longer than I wanted, because this is fantastic. But I definitely- Let's pound a few out in some groups too. I, yes. So I have to touch on your Henson film list because Jim Henson yep. films are truly, when I think of what inspired me growing up, those were films that taught me all sorts of things. Like I can be 
I can be happy with fantasies because fantasies can reflect my reality and what I want my reality to be. And also I fucking love puppets. And I like yeah. the, cause the entire concept of a puppet and a Muppet is that it's people making something 100% new that can represent so much for us. Like it's, it's the same thing to me as like, um, as writing and getting a short story out there or something like these puppets are creations in and of themselves portraying a, another creation. It's this weird, it's not meta, but it's like the, the, the double anti-meta, you know, it's a story in a story yeah. that is somehow reflecting reality, but not reality. And um, direct, directly just briefly tie in with what you just said, listening to interviews with Dave Goals and, and uh, so many of the Muppet performers, uh, Frank Oz in particular, Oz, and stuff yeah. like that. But I remember I, I believe it was Dave Goals in particular said this and uh, just last on my birthday last year, they did um, a live stream. And I've heard them say this various, uh, um, maybe it was Jerry Nelson too, but also people saying that like having that puppet when you're these these people who are the the Muppet performers, oftentimes very shy people, and having the barrier of that, what you just to link in what you said about like allowing these things to come through like a sort of meta version, these people feel they can then be vulnerable and express something very true about what they're feeling that they can't do with their everyday self. It's a little bit too intimidating, but to be able to like speak your truth through the vehicle, this other thing allows you to do that and to even be sort of hyper-focused on that element that you might feel a little bit vulnerable about too. So yeah. sorry about the digression. No, no, I think that's phenomenal. And I actually, it's interesting you say that because um, it also, I was thinking about um, the Muppet show, the original show in general, <laughs> and how one funny it was for kids and adults, like how amazing that when you get these things like Jim Henson Productions films where they, they speak to everyone on different levels and they you grow with them um and and um but i was thinking about how in the muppet show it's played for comedy but they have these phenomenal guests and something that and i as a podcaster like i when we started i had it too it's like i i'm starstruck like you're an important person in my life and as a creator you don't even necessarily know that because you don't know me necessarily but i know things that you've put out in the world these vulnerable moments these performances all of these things and they speak to me and have helped me in certain ways when you get a celebrity in front of an interviewer the celebrity tends to be more famous or more on at the moment than the interviewer. And when that happens, mm -hmm. you have, it's, it's not an intentional or cruel, but it's a power difference, right? Because even if one person, mm -hmm. the celebrity isn't trying to exert the power, the interviewer who feels less than feels that power. But when you're dealing mm -hmm. with puppets whose fame and notoriety has <laughs> grown so expansively, there mm -hmm. is no one who, you know, talked to Kermit who was not the lesser celebrity. You know what I mean? Like really, in a yeah. way, like they, and it, and it allowed for this sort of weirdly more natural than than human being interaction performances between the mm -hmm. Muppet and these these celebrities. And I thought that that's just always something that, um, you know, when you speak And it to takes you out of that space. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It takes it takes them out of the space watching, for example, like the Johnny Carson interview with Jim Henson or, yeah. or DeCavett or these people you see them immediately transported. All of a sudden they don't become Johnny Carson, the persona. They're beautifully stripped down to this yeah. kind of pure thing, encountering this thing of like magic and mystery, even though they see the human being whose arm right. is up in this piece of felt yes. sitting right there. And that's a huge credit to the performer as well too, to create sure. that 
I mean, it's just a, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. So to just lead you through the brief, um, I mean, I will do my best to make it brief. It's oh, quite extensive. We're not on any time the, requirement. All right. So here it is. My Muppet family here. My, um, my major films were the Muppet movie, 1979, yep. the year of my birth, the Muppets take Manhattan, which is almost like in, a, in almost sort of like the Godfather and the Godfather. 1984, the year of my birth. Yeah, baby. The Muppet Musicians of Bremen. Yes. Which was an amazing lesser known film, but and this, like, and, and I want to say he's made for TV films. But, yeah, it was, yeah. it was a part of their series, um, Tales from Muppet Land. And they did lots yes. of fairy tales, but this one, I was excited to see you put it on here because I feel like this one is the one that nobody remembers because it's not Cinderella, yes. you know, or it, it's or Fully. Jack the Beanstalk. It is it is a lesser known fairy tale in general, and um, it's it's funny and it's kind of beautiful, and I really I really enjoyed this one. So let me just lay this out for you. And number four, here's the mighty quartet for me. Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Yes. What do all of these four films have in common? A group of weirdo misfits form some kind of creative entity. Yes. Three out of the four, a band. Yes. Muppets take Manhattan. They're going, well, two roughly. I, that's true because the Muppet movie, they're going to Hollywood to make a film. The Muppets take Manhattan. They're going to Broadway to make a play. And the Muppet musicians of Brementown and uh, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. That is directly musician life. So when you get the opening scene, is there any more poetic and beautiful way to lay out for a child the blueprint of having a dream, following through on it, and laying out in a beautiful, humorous way the path towards finding your tribe in life and using your collective quirks and abilities or or disabilities to your benefit your collective benefit to achieve this beautiful thing which benefits culture and and life itself when muppet says uh, when sorry when kermit says to bernie the agent when he comes in bernie the agent says hey kid i heard you sing you should go you should go to hollywood yeah you can make millions of people happy and kermit reflects and goes millions of people happy that planted the seed in my head of like, because I, whatever way the stars aligning things worked out, I came by a very kind of like altruistic nature, my, you know, parents and all that kind of thing. And I thought to myself, like, that's a beautiful thing. That has stayed consistent from the time I was four or five years old of like, what a beautiful thing to go out have this great time. And of course, then you see kind of in effect, like the electric mayhem in the, you know, yeah. <laughs> the Presbyterian church and, and all that kind of thing. And um, just the wild adventure of life that when you accept that call, the people that you meet or the Muppets and the creatures that you meet, you know what I mean? Through that journey, ultimately that it is an incredibly worthwhile call. In fact, it's, it's a duty. It's part of our lives to accept that. And I think the amount of struggle that people deal with is to the extent that they, which that they meet that challenge of following that path, being true, following that particular dream. I've heard many people in lectures say that like we, our culture has gotten incredibly adept at beating creativity out of people and squelching it down. I experienced it firsthand when I went to Berkeley School of Music in 98 for their summer program. 
and it was like we do not allow that way of thinking here and it i was, was virtually like, okay. my entire school career you know there was breakaways in college and i mean i i fought against it i i wanted to be home you know what i mean you it's interesting you're talking about it and i love it and it ties back to what you said when we were talking about harold and Maud, which is when you when you don't feel like people around you um you were talking you know it's parents in that movie but also school right i think school is a yeah. huge as a teacher myself and having been in the education uh world for over 10 years in amongst yeah. many other things um we're, we're really bad at it um and yeah. it's it's one of those things where we want to find people that make us feel creative even if you're not a quote-unquote creative people if we feel like we can put ourselves what we've made our decisions our words our thoughts out there and it's yeah. received um kindly mm -hmm. or well even if it's a bad idea you know what i mean if you feel like you can put it out yeah. there and be okay then you're happier yeah. and when you look right. at especially emmett otter's jug band christmas i this it breaks my heart that more people don't know about this one i love it so much um yeah <laughs> and it's one of those and it's sort of a, a it, it, when people i urge people listeners to go out and watch it the gift of the magi is sort of the, the what they took this from in many ways but i think they made it beautiful and less of an o henry twist kind of thing mm -hmm. it's just one of those things where these are the films and stories that shown us much i think of um the dresden dolls they showed like it, you don't have to be this one thing. You can sing for a band and write and do this and, and just try and build and your entire community will build. There are people out there like with Harold Ahmad that are like you or that are receptive to you and vice versa. And it's just a matter of connecting with those people. And I think 2020 is one of those things with, with COVID is why people who are struggling the most with their mental health um, are mm -hmm. who, who didn't have issues before, like many of us, unfortunately, it's because sure. they're disconnected now. Um, and they're not getting that, they don't have that feeling of safety and, and joint expression and the bouncing of ideas. Um, even if it's the mm -hmm. conversations at the local diner over coffee, you know, they may not think of it as that scenario, but that's what it is. And so when you don't have right. that, you hurt. And when you hurt, yes. you're upset, you lash out or you retract and you, you wither. And so um, yeah. finding ways to connect with others, uh, be a podcast, music, streaming. I love the streaming events. You know, is it the same? No. Yeah. Is it something else mm -hmm. that can be beautiful? Yes. Um, yes. Participate and you start to connect. Like we're down here in Palm Springs. My wife and I were big supporters of the drag community as much as we can. Love them. And, you know, a lot of the girls and queens are, are out there struggling because they live off mm -hmm. of live performance, much like musicians and comedians. And when... You know, and, and so, okay, how can we support them and how can they reach out to us and we connect again? And these live streaming events help. Um, but finding the tribe is, as you said, that's what I see is the tie between you know, your Jim Henson selections. Um, and then we do get, of course, yes. the Labyrinth and the Dark Crystal um, from 86 and 82. Yeah. These, these, these were the films that made me like, as a kid, my mouth dropped open, my eyes, I didn't, I don't think I blinked for the entirety of the Dark Crystal. You know what I mean? Um, they yeah. also terrified me. And and that's when I learned that I can enjoy being terrified in a way. Um, yeah. Because it, it shows and the, you- And the larger more. life lessons too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It, the, the whole, and that's the beautiful thing about like this sort of like how fantastic the characters are in the worlds and what it leads you through. The Dark Crystal, 
in a way, it's a beautiful thing because it teaches you about duality very directly, the light and dark and how those two things are intrinsically linked. And then you've got this, the catharsis of, you know, Jen going out through meeting all these different characters on his particular quest. That, I mean, that's like our lives in general, mm -hmm. you know, you're set off on this particular mission to come out the other side of this thing you've been called upon to do. And you learn along the way by making lots of mistakes and meeting lots of very interesting characters that you then learn your parameters of where you are and how to overcome things and push yourself beyond the whole thing is Jen is going like, I'm this little gelfling. How, what use am I? Yeah. And then you learn what kind of use you can be accepting that quest and going out and again, meeting with like all of the other things and people that come together to help you overcome these things that seem insurmountable. Labyrinth is an incredible coming of age story. Mm -hmm. And two of the main things that stick with me about Labyrinth are the scene when Sarah is in the junk heap and she finds herself back in her bedroom and the woman's like, come here, Neri, and put on this, like the bag lady, yeah. you know, like carrying your baggage and all these things around you to kind of protect yourself and build this wall up around you to prevent the process of growing and maturing. Mm -hmm. You just kind of go like, well, this is comfortable. I'm going to keep this around me. And you wind up building this thing into her revelation thing and going like, I don't need this stuff. In fact, I need to shed all these things that have kept me in this childish place this whole mm -hmm. time that have that are holding me back. Literally, they make a very direct metaphor of going like, you can't move on through your life when you have all this shit on your back. Yep. Let it go and leave it in the past and move forward. And then dealing with manipulative people which that's a whole process in maturing in and of itself too. Mm -hmm. The Jareth character, the seductiveness of this, his sexy thing, obviously, you know, you hear in the documentaries that like his large, you know, cod piece was a very direct, yeah. intentional thing about like sexual power. And, mm -hmm. you know, obviously for young girls or whatever, but you could easily, you know, sw swap that uh, dynamic around of being seduced by somebody older, sexy, um, that, that is trying to control and manipulate you to their own ends. And her final words, as she finishes reciting the poem of, you have no power over me. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how powerful a sentiment that is. And when I have come to that over and over again, reminding you, come back to yourself, that you may be set off on all these directions that were initiated by the will of other peoples, but don't let yourself get there. You have no power over me is one of the most profound things you can say and remind yourself especially through the growing years when people yeah. may tend to be like predatory on your naive your naivete and that kind of thing you go like ah oh, that's someone who's not going to catch that i can use them to my own advantage so yeah. that's a beautiful sentiment too. keep your eyes and wits and keep who you are at the forefront of where you want to go throughout your life and what strikes me as you're talking about them uh, both both these films because you're absolutely right is what's so magical about these films as fantasies is that mm -hmm. they bring Joseph Campbell, the mythologist, you know, talks about the hero's journey and how it fits mm -hmm. the motif of the, you know, the, the, I can't do this, but now the hero then has to do this. And then they overcome this through these various means. And this is how it comes out at the end and that it innately calls to us. And that's why this motif is, is recreated so often. And uh, famously used star Wars as an example, the original trilogy. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then like Lord of the Rings similarly follows it actually even more so the Hobbit in some ways. And yeah, these films 
sort of bring the hero, you know, the, the, I, the mental picture I get is a Greek God, right? A hero yeah. to us as a person, because in the labyrinth, it's like, it ties it down. It's like, they follow the hero's journey yet they are going through the same things. As you said, we will go through for life, whether we want to or not, if we want to expand okay. and grow and be happy, like that's right. The risk versus reward, right? Like it's not that you won't get hurt or that there aren't right. dangers you're going to come and you know open yourself up to. It's that that's what you have to do in order to get to the things that will make you happy. And if you close yourself off like the bag lady, which there's so much to unpack in that in that scene, in yeah. that moment as right. well, socioeconomically yes. as well. Like there's so much you can <laughs> talk like, about. Um, yes. it, it's just, uh, it's it sort of, I think, I think adults feel it, but I think kids somehow understand it. Um, yeah. which is maybe even better at the time, which is I identify with this. I will get through this. Yeah. This is all normal. This is yeah. something I can do. Um, yes. and, and we see that, like you said, that you hold no power over me. That's repeated in places like that's, that's what gets people. You talk, you talk, especially at all of the terrible things we hear about all day now, which is important to understand, you know, I think of um, like rape survivors and assault survivors and the Me Too movement and things is um, you may physically be at some, you know, weaker than someone. You may be a victim, but yeah. holding the power over you to continue on uh, is, is something that is, that's where we can exert our control again and, yes. and grow and move forward. Um, and certainly not, I'm sure it's, uh, it's in many, in all cases, it's not easy. Uh, but those right. are the lessons that, like you said, they're, they stick with us, you know, for, I mean, yes. how many years since the first time you saw those and it, it, it it's reaffirmed every time you watch it. Exactly. Um, and, uh, there's, there's a, you've got this amazing list of, um, we talked, of course, about Harold and Maude, but uh, let's go through your cult film list here. Yeah. All right. Let's let's, let's take us through. The first one you've got, Down by Law, Jim Jarmusch's 86 film. <laughs> yes. And and I knew you're, uh, you're a Tom this. Waits fan, right? Of course, Tom Waits being Indeed. in this film. Yes. yes um, absolutely. This So I love Jim Jarmusch in, in general. I always think, I don't know. I don't know. Broken Flowers is the one that touches, that, that speaks mm. to my brain probably the most. Yeah. Um, probably because, as you said, when I saw it, it was that transitional time in my twenties when I was like, I don't know. I feel like I was supposed to go somewhere that I didn't get to, you know, and now I'm here and I don't know what I'm doing. And it looks like I missed an exit somewhere. And that's what that film's about to you. What is down to law about? <laughs> what is down by law about? Um, well, at its core, it's like, kind of like a philosophy of life approach. You get the juxtaposition of Tom Waits and, and John Laurie's characters being these kind of, you know, down and out, uh, sort of kind of always trying to put up the front of being cool. Um, I'm, I'm gonna be clumsy in, in trying to de describe this, but, and then Roberto Benigni's character, uh, Bob. It was <laughs> Bob great, Frost. yes. He's, yes. You know what I mean? And um, he's just, again, and it's a character and it's a style. It's almost, it's in a way similar to this kind of like innocence that he even has in Life is Beautiful. This character where it's not for lack of depth, but he sort of rolls through life with the type of ease and 
without the kind of like angst and constantly rubbing against these struggles do you know like john laurie's character is this kind of like struggling pimp who's getting laughed at and humiliated and gets set off because he's set up because he's a total fool and tom waits is this kind of lazy slouch of a you know ex-dj who is his girlfriend's finally gotten fed up and kicks him out of the house and he gets suckered into a crime and they both get set up and then here they are in the jail cell going through which i love too the way they cycle through the phases of acceptance mm -hmm. where they're like i was framed there's nothing i can do about this i'm in total malaise and then acceptance of just like okay this is it i've acclimated and then you see john laurie come through and live through the same thing and then mm -hmm. roberto benini come in and this just like that's okay this isn't i'm not going to let this affect me that much and maybe i don't have the the capacity to kind of look at it for what it is but he's like I'm actually innocent. This is what I did. This is how I killed this person. And, um, but I'm going to look and see what I can do. And it's even seen in the way through at the end of without giving the, the spoilers about the film, the way that the characters all deal with the end of the film is very interesting. Yet also, it's just about people kind of going like, here's what happens and how you deal, maybe depending on your personality type when you're thrown into this crazy mm -hmm. situation and you have to somehow figure your way out of it yep. and uh it's again it's kind of like just a beautiful buddy story and you know how what it can mean for when when people the sort of viewpoint of every man for himself which is waits and laurie mm -hmm. or roberto benini who winds up cooking the my coming little rabbit and my mother and the oregano and <laughs> rosamarino yeah. and he's giving things bringing everybody into like eat the rabbit and he's like my and he keeps calling them my friends my friends and these kinds of things his outlook is constantly about trying to connect and unite and bring people together and even at the end of the film with like the, the woman in the, in the house and these types of things and um so yeah it's just kind of like an interesting look at as you're talking about but it it's endlessly quotable and absolutely hilarious super quotable i will i will, yes and what i love too is as you said the idea that um fairness in the movie i, I feel like yeah. it's a big because uh weights and lurie are uh definitely thinking they're fighting you know they're they're the the caught squirrel in the cage who's banging against the walls over and over again like i can't this isn't fair and and yeah. benini is the one that's like um just sitting there waiting well the door's got to open sometime or it's not like right so nothing i do is going to change that so i'll just yeah. continue to wait and see what happens and um and keep his eyes open and exactly watch for it and what's so cool about that is it's yet another life lesson that it's not that it's it's not whether or not something's fair which one of these characters is happier right like which right. one is actually yeah. gonna gonna feel better um so right. what is it serving you it's that very you know the the taoist idea you know a buddhist idea of of letting go of these things because not because you're wrong but because right. it's not gonna serve you um Correct. and and that's and it makes me think too but it also as you said the ending you get these moments especially jim jarmusch does this all the time and he it always strikes me that he does he finds new ways to do it where the ending leaves you with the like do i even understand the question um that i was yeah. that i was being posed like i mean broken flowers is the perfect example right like he's yeah. uh bill murray thinks he, he's trying to go through his past lovers to find the child that that he supposedly has but he doesn't know who left him the information so he doesn't so he keeps yeah. going and then at the end he's left not knowing and he sees someone drive by and he looks at him and 
it's Bill Murray's real son in real life. Wow. And you're like, I mean, that's, it's so meta, but it's so insane. You're like, I don't even know. Like, I still think about that. I still think about that. And I haven't seen the film since it premiered. And so I'm just like, but it's one of those things that I always have a new insight whenever it comes up in my brain as to what it could be. And yes. it's probably not just a joke at my expense. It actually is making me think, but it could be, don't know. Um, yeah. And I love that. I love that he does that with his films. Um, Agreed. You've got a couple of- um, uh, I want to touch on two actually really quickly. Yeah. I want to talk about actually really quickly uh, for a film that a lot of people may not have seen, uh, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which I is have an incredible it. film. Oh, it's sick. 1964, directed by Jacques Demy, starring Catherine Deneuve and Nino Casalnuvo. Um, so this film is in, I believe earlier, there's a film called The Young Girls of Roquefort, um, which apparently inspired La La Land in its sort of like the musical um, production sensibility and the mm. sort of like love story of these people sort of singing and dancing through the streets. I just recently watched uh, The Young Girls of Roquefort and was like, this is so schmaltzy. I can't even stomach this. I, I know it's a classic, but yeah, I didn't it's not like my, it at all. Not my deal. However, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, I was just like, this is so fantastically brilliant. And there is music throughout the entire film. The whole film is scored. It's not like an opera where there's like recitations yeah. or there's spoken bits or whatever. And it is, and it's beautifully done. It's this cool sort of like French or like early sixties jazz score. Um, it's not, it's not jazz hands or whatever, like, like you might think. And it's not even really like West Side Story-ish. Uh, where it's like overly orchestral or, or not, not that it's Is it more like a, like La, Sam like La Samurai, like the almost the lounge jazz that, that was prevalent uh, at the time? No, it's France? not, it's no, be, no, because it's, 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 um, it's, it's, it's not loungy. It's definitely colorful and vivacious, but it's an amazing underscore. And it's very arty and the, the harmonic sensibility is really beautiful too. And it's not meant as just a bed. It really serves as, a component with the dialogue of the film. But just to see the way that the film was scripted and the dialogue runs musically throughout and how I thought to myself, like to work out the blocking and the timing for these words to be in time with the music and the scenes flow so beautifully and the colors are absolutely psychotically brilliant. Each room in the house is like these clashing like golds and pinks and fuchsias and reds and purples and greens and blues and, um, and it's just sort of this, you would think a sort of mundane love story about two lovers who sort of separate and new loves are had and children are born and, and things and the lovers sort of come back together at the end and, and things like this. And it's sort of about the, the, the small little ways that our lives come together and diverge, but it is done in such an incredibly beautiful and artful way. And the acting is phenomenal the music itself is beautiful and visually it's one of the most striking films I've ever seen. It definitely left an impression. The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, definitely see it. Um, and then uh, the other one was that I just recently saw, which now I understand why it was such a acclaimed classic is The 400 Blows. Um, that film, and I know I put that on the on the sort of like the I don't know where that sits if that's cult or classic. I, or I think I mean I think <laughs> Trafalgar fans will know it, but otherwise I don't think people are that familiar with it. And um and it is I I will say as well I've seen this 1959. It is a stunning film. Yeah, brilliant. I mean the look the acting of this boy 14 years old. Um, 
I forgot to put the the actor's name in there too. But um, I there were I watched actually. I get, I've been getting like nerdy like this. There's a really cool MIT lecture uh, about the 400 Blows that I watched. They give a lot of really cool context and, and background of the film and how he started. So the 400 Blows, directed by uh, Francois Truffaut, started off like the new wave um, of uh, French cinema, right? In mm -hmm. sort of like 59, 60s, a little bit of debate. Um, but a beautiful way of using the cinematography from the point of the perspective of children. Mm -hmm. And it's essentially sort of speaking about the, the difficulties of being a child in a society that just treats you like you're nothing and that you don't deserve any sort of actual respect and follows the main character through his sort of troubled home life with his mother who doesn't really want him or attend to him, his stepfather who tries to be kind of a buddy and help him through situations to where um, uh, the sort of the, the hoodlums and the friends that he makes at his school, the difficulties he faces in the classroom with the teacher hating his guts and the other kids kind of picking on him, running away, um, and then eventually really breaking free. But the, the, the cinematography and the script and the acting in it is just so stunningly gorgeous. And it stands to this day too. You don't, I don't feel like I look back it's and go beautiful. like, oh, this is really dated. It's no. just a stunning piece of film. I, I think you could- in every facet. It's so funny. Cause I also, when I, cause I first saw a film when I saw uh, Fahrenheit uh, 457, his mm -hmm. adaptation in 66. Uh -huh. And, um, and to me being a genre fan, I was like, this, this has got to be his most spectacular film and right. it, visually, and it is spectacular, but it's almost as if the, the speculative nature of the plot of, of Ray Bradbury's story yep. um, mm -hmm. competes with the visuals. So in, in a way it's like, you don't really feel, it's not as amazing as something like the 400 blows where every shot i had a, a friend who once told me this about a film and, and i think of it all the time when i see a movie like this any single film cell could be framed on a wall um yes it is, it is just the intention like everything is intentional um yeah. and uh, i agree with you i can't recommend the 400 blows enough i think it's it's yeah um, and not bad for a first film first Jeez, film and i i feel I, I always think i'm like when i see a film like that debut i'm like was it frustrating following that up? Like, obviously, Travolta became super <laughs> successful, so there's there's no fear of that. But I'm like, I'm like, that's yeah. a tough one to follow, you know? Definitely. Oh man, if I may interject super Please. quick, um, one film just while we have the time that I want to touch on. If you're gonna ask me what was one film that completely also changed my life in my later adult years, would never have expected to say this. Uh, but Martin Scorsese's 1980 film, The Last Temptation of Christ, yes, uh, starring Willem Willem Dafoe and uh, Harvey Keitel, David Bowie, and Barbara Hershey. Yep. Uh, a film that, which was banned, which was perceived as being way too shocking, like similar to the exodus of like raised eyebrows and hackles mm -hmm. of religious groups, like, you know, left, right, and center. Um, but for me, that was a year when I had been just been a, basically about, you know, roughly six or seven years out of doing Dresden Dolls. Mm -hmm. having a really difficult time in my sort of personal and professional life feeling like I was able to join a group that had the same kind of drive to really apply to a project and make it succeed and constantly feeling like in a weird way like I'm like the psycho like person who just wants to work all the time and make this thing go and other people are like this is we're just kind of doing this to have fun why are you taking this like music thing so seriously it's only my life and yeah <laughs> well it's okay because it's like yeah. hey peace like which there's no right or wrong it's just a difference in paths and focus of intention and for me this is like an all or nothing thing and um 
I reached a point where I was telling my friends and myself and really looking squarely in the face in December of 2012 of like, I should just be thankful for whatever I got with the Dresden Dolls and just graciously get out of the game because clearly I'm delusional. I'm struggling at something where I keep hitting my head against the wall over and over again. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know that I'm asking for so much, just a band of people that like actually enjoy doing the things and want to see the thing grow. I took for granted that most musicians want to do that anyway. I didn't realize that that's actually like the smallest percentage of the pie that most people are just doing it to get some fun out of life, have some fun, but probably don't really envision themselves as being much of a success are happy with what they got and like not trying to rock the boat. Which like I'm you said, it's fine. Like, it's just closer than to a hobby than a, a, yeah. a life master goal, you know? Which that's fine. That was my own like thing that going like, right, you actually see things in a very different way. It's this isn't normal. So that can help me with like expectation management and perspective. Nonetheless, I basically was like, I have this table here, which I don't know if you can see. It's like this kind of cool. It's like this oh, beautiful natural. Yeah. It was a really cool kind of thing, right? But I made it and friends of mine would compliment. I don't know, it was, so the short winded saying, it's like, I'm not talented as a woodworker, but I was like, maybe I'll make tables and just sell them on eBay as a way to make a living. And my friends were like, put down the crack pipe. Don't do that. And just give yourself a fucking second to like breathe. I wind up watching the film, The Last Temptation of Christ in January of 2013. And what I got out of that film, because I was not like raised in any particular like religious way or whatever like that. And you know, I know sort of like the story. So this is a fictionalized account based on a book. Mm -hmm of the life of Jesus, but essentially what it spoke to me about was what the definition of commitment really meant. I have felt since I was eight years old or younger, perhaps a strong calling to do this for my life and had tunnel vision about living out this and what I want to spend my energy doing while I'm alive on the planet and really not wavered from it and was incredibly, incredibly blessed to meet somebody like Amanda who also shared that passion and to ride that way for, for many years uh, and still continuing, although just in a different format. But in that time when I was questioning myself going like, is this really something that even though I want to do it, am I deluding myself? And the beautiful thing about that film you see like Jesus is sort of comes, he does his whole thing. He has his sermon on the Mount. Everyone is following him. He goes right up, blah, blah, he's captured. He's getting crucified. And on that moment when he's dying on the cross in absolute and utter agony, the devil appears to him as this sort of like benign angel and sort of tempting, this is the temptation part, saying like, I know this is a nightmare. You don't have to do this. Why are you going out like this? Who wants to be crucified? Come on, let's, let's get real. Let's come down with me. Just live a whole, leave this whole martyr shit behind. You don't have to go out like this. There's a whole other way you can live. Come, leave the easy life. Have, get married, have kids. Just be, you know, leave all this commitment to God nonsense behind. You don't need it. It's okay. What has it gotten you anyway? You're about to die, eh? Happy right. now? And so, and Jesus is like, you're right, you're making a lot of sense. I just want <laughs> to sucks. And Jesus basically gets down off the cross and sort of like goes on this long, prolonged hallucination with Satan, essentially kind of going like, yeah, this is, this is better. You don't want to be done. Why do you want to give, give yourself to this thing? You're not getting anything out of it. It doesn't mean anything to people anyway. You're fooling yourself. And he goes and he gets married and he lives the life. And he's sort of like watching his, the world sort of go by and um, 
at the end of the film, he's sort of lying on his deathbed in his little like hut in the desert and he's got his family around him and he's got his long beard and everything. He's an old man. And all of a sudden Harvey Keitel as Judas bursts in yeah. and is like, what are you doing? What did you do? You quitter? You fucking wuss? You like backed out? Why? Because it got hard? Because you couldn't deal with it? You gave up this whole movement that you led everything you believed in for your full life. You threw it away. Why? Because it got too difficult to bear? Who the fuck do you think you are? Like, what is this? What is this nonsense about? You got all these people behind you. You got all this whole mission that you want. This whole thing that you sacrificed and gave your life for that meant so much to you. You know, the, the hour of like when it got difficult, you bailed. Great job. You're an idiot. And that to me, and, and Jesus is like, you're right. I don't, this isn't really what I, this wasn't, isn't really fulfilling to me. It's like, yes, I didn't have to like go through the suffering that I was before, but at the same point, this is a lot, like not a fulfilling existence. This isn't, this isn't what I set out to do. And he goes back out in the desert, sorry for the spoiler. And he goes like, I want to go back and do mm -hmm. the thing. And poof, the, the, you know, the illusion is broken and he's back into that instant 70 years earlier, like back on the cross and he's sort of completed his mission. And it's like, for all of the sort of, you know, religious um, references in the film, it spoke to me going like, what am I doing? Why am I backing out of this? I should actually think to myself that like, I'm not gonna be happier. I'll be 10 times as miserable trying to make fucking tables on eBay as I will suffering through the uncertainty of that I don't know what it is. And it led me to my first real point of surrender. And it was an absolutely profound stage of life for me. One that I just went through again in 2020 as probably a zillion other people did as well. Sure. Where you yeah. go like, I'm, I basically just sort of said like, the universe knows why I'm here and what I want. And now I'm, I always used to say, I'm just like taking my hands off the wheel. Like I'm here if you need me. And lo and behold, within about three months, I started getting calls to join Violent Femmes. I met the woman I eventually married. I went on to this like, whole sort of like amazing new journey, all from just taking my foot off the gas pedal and allowing that space into my life created where I was bearing down, bearing down. I felt this tremendous responsibility before because of my conditioning with Dresden dolls to work, go, push, make it go, happen, happen. Like, you know, if you don't do it, no one's going to do it. Punk rock, DIY or die. You got to fucking like stay on it every single day. And that worked in a certain paradigm for that time. Mm -hmm. But out of those parameters, it was like a useless and, and it's sort of like a, like a fruitless application of like my will to work and do things. It mm -hmm. wasn't being reciprocated. And what I then found too was finding this kind of balance. So Sorry for the long-winded answer. No, this that film brought me on a huge and probably opened up for me in the year of when I was 32, 33 years old, starting this really different outlook on life, being confident and knowing what I want to do and being disciplined enough to trust and allow space in my life for those things. And the, doing the Rocky Horror Picture Show thing and all many miraculous, wonderful events have been a total byproduct of that. Relieving myself of the responsibility of trying to figure out every single yeah. little answer to every problem in my life and just trusting what I wanna do and allowing it to happen. Jim Carrey, for example, even there's like a little quote that goes around with him. He said, I think I found out that it's about telling the universe what you want and then letting go of control over the way it plays out that type of philosophy there's so much to unpack there and i think it's incredible and i love 
so of course we're on social media colton classic podcast uh, uh, on facebook.com and, and whatever and our instagram of course at colton classic podcast is our most active and our fans as many of you listeners are not all and that's totally fine but many are what people would say quote unquote are alternative people so in one way or another they either look different or they identify differently or their lifestyle they don't fit um the a 1950s mold of what uh, an adult or a young adult would be um you know yeah. and uh, and so often we see and i see and and i listeners out there i do see it um posts about struggle and when things get tough and just needing to hear something good or asking, you know, for a reason why things should keep going. And I think often, and I I've been there and I guarantee I will be there again because things go through, as you said before, things go through stages and they repeat sometimes and there are cycles and things that, and it, often it's out of our control the circumstances, you know, so it's all about how we how we tackle it and how we look at it. And that drive to um, to have to succeed, especially I think I think this might be um, heavily an American thing, but the idea that there is no failure, you just keep going until you make it until you succeed, like, like you said, no one else is going to do it. So you have to keep pounding the pavement. It's, 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 even when it does work, it's unsustainable, right? Yeah. Like you can't do that yeah. forever. And there are plenty of times when we've worked so hard, yet it still doesn't come out what we want because it's for whatever right. reason, there are circumstances beyond our control. And so I love yeah. how this film, how you saw that in this film, because I also love this film. I think, I mean, I've often said Francis Ford Coppola is the most competent director of modern times, but mm -hmm. if I wanted- for, uh, th This is actually Scorsese for Last Temptation. I, I know. And what I was going to oh, say is, I, no, no worries. I've often said that, especially doing our Nicolas yeah. Cage month here. Um, mm -hmm. But if you were to ask me which films I would, whose collection I would want to cherish forever, if I could have no others, I would choose Martin Scorsese. And mm -hmm. I think it's because his films have this human element where I always find something that I, I, I take something away on a deeply personal level. And this is one of, if not the most personal feeling of his films. And I was raised Baptist yeah. for a chunk of my life, which is totally yeah. out there. I do not identify as Christian. However, um, yeah. the re and I love that, that you mentioned this was a band film. Um, it's still highly contested and often not referred to in Martin Scorsese's filmography by people. But what's yeah. so incredible about this film to me, I, I saw, I, I like to read reviews on IMDb of these films before I rewatch them because it, it shows me, as you said, these different takes from different people. And yeah. someone had the, the most beautiful thing. They said, this is the most deeply religious film on Christianity that there is. And yeah. I think there's something that rings true to that because at the core of this Christian idea is, um, is, is sacrifice, um, but not for nothing, right? There's a sacrifice. Trust. Exactly. Trust, even above sacrifice. Faith, even. Right. Like the idea yeah. that of faith and the idea yeah. that Christ would go through his life as a person without mm -hmm. experiencing what we as people feel is a disservice to the story because 
it doesn't mean anything if he's essentially a deity in human form who doesn't live a life between you know his you know 14 and 33 or whatever that gap is um yeah. and just and just dies on the cross it doesn't mean anything but when it's a person right. who's been given the every every um temptation every struggle every joy that we experience and yet then he still decides to do something hard because it's what i think i think what it comes down to me is it's what jesus wanted as you said like he's at the end harvey Keitel wakes him up and says which you did a spot on impersonation said you know this isn't are you essentially he's like you're not happy and this isn't yeah. what you want and he's right. like you're right and we can we fall into these moments sometimes i think as people i say as creatives but really probably as anyone where we're just doing what's easiest and yet and and we only see that as an option or the pounding the pavement forever because otherwise we'll never get what we want both of those things are not always true it's a give and a take right you like you said the jim carrey quote you put it out there and you set things up and then you allow them to happen because when you don't allow them to happen, like you said, there's no room to receive this. There's no room for a relationship. There's no room for anyone to ever come to you and say, Hey, um, <laughs> yeah. do you want to join our iconic nineties band? Like, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it's just not going to eighties, nineties band. It's just not going to happen. Um, otherwise. And it's that cycle. And if you don't take that downtime, if you don't, uh, then it's just as bad as not putting the irons in the fire, you know, that are going to pay off yeah. later. So I love that yeah. that came away. And again, listeners, this is 1988, Last Temptation of Christ. I think it holds up. I think this film is phenomenal. Um, and uh, yeah. uh, Willem Dafoe, I've never seen a performance I haven't been fascinated by from Willem Dafoe. And watching him play Jesus, um, it's yeah. sort of like you watch this and then you look at, you know, Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, which, by the way, is based on an anti-Semitic play. It is not based on the Bible, guys. But you you watch it. It is it's interesting, but it essentially is a Jesus snuff film. It's a shock wow. value film. Have you ever seen I The Passion of the Christ? Anything. It's an interesting it. film, but it's a, it's a it's a well-directed snuff film of Jesus Christ uh, or yes. fake snuff film. But this film is really encapsulates the ideology behind you know essentially the most popular religion in the western world and so when we look at it i love that people like you like myself who do not consider ourselves practicing christian at all can see oh i understand this in the same way that i find things that are functional in 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 in, uh sufism or or taoism or buddhism you know like these ideas that speak to our deeper psyches uh as human beings and so um that's I love that you picked that on the list because otherwise I don't know when I would have talked about it on the podcast. That was a transformative film for me. So thanks for allowing time for it. Of course. And I I just, we're going to, we're going to wrap up here because I literally could talk to you all day. Um, And uh, I, I would love to at some point release your list in one form or another. So uh, I'll make that happen if that great. Cause I think our listeners are really going to appreciate this. Um, I think you, so follow brian at instagram.com slash brian viglione it is v-i-g-l-i-o-n-e and again check our liner notes check the podcast notes check the youtube notes it's going to be there follow brian check out nr check out radiator king um check out his friend kaylin chase you're on drums with him uh as well often. yeah actually you know what i want to give a specific thing and also to everybody out there who's interested and wants to see like the new 
um, Dresden Dolls live film, Return to Paradise. Yes. Seek that out. It's on Vimeo, uh, recorded in 2017. I had a very hands-on um, uh, experience with editing the entire film with uh, our, our friend Jesse and um, working on the audio mix with our live engineer tube. Supremely proud of the way it turned out. It was an incredible show and a beautiful sort of- It is an incredible- so scope that. is an incredible video. Yeah. Check it out. And also check out, of course, your uh, original Dresden Dolls uh, DVD as well. Go check that out, stream it. Yes. Um, it's, it's worth it, you know? They and radiatorking.com. I finally, I finally have convinced Adam from Radiator King to move to Los Angeles. He'll be here Excellent. around January 15th. Go that listen is, to our new record. It's called Unborn Ghosts. Go listen to that beautiful I, album. I was listening to it this morning in prep, and I got to say, it's it's awesome. And it's it's nothing nothing else you've ever seen. If you, of course, <laughs> if you've heard the Dresden Dolls, you know that there is music that you have not heard a kind before. You know, similar to, uh, I, I think I first saw Reverend Glass Eye open for you guys as well. And that was another thing where I was like, yeah. oh, I haven't heard this before. Um, you know, at least not since the 1860s. So let's, let's dive in. And I love it. And you know, check it all out, support, you know, support um, the people that give you creative things that you love and, and they're going to keep creating and create your own stuff and share it with the world. That's, that's what this whole genre is about. So thank you guys so much to play us out as always is the chud with all about evil. Uh, please support us at patreon.com slash Colton classic podcast and follow us on Instagram called classic podcast.com. Sorry, I had a stroke there. And uh, we're also now on YouTube. You can watch the episodes at youtube.com slash Colton Classic Podcast. Like, subscribe, and write a review everywhere and anywhere that you possibly can, including your favorite podcast platform. Thanks so much. I'm Nate Wyckoff here with Brian Viglione. Have a great day. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me. But what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.